Gospel according to Matthew, verses 36 to 46. You can follow along in your Bibles, or uh, as the passage is being read, it'll be available on the screen next to me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two men of Zebedee, the two sons of Zebedee, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is God's word. Well, the story we just read happened on Thursday night of Holy Week. And maybe you're wondering why I chose to focus on this event for our Good Friday service instead of the crucifixion. Because that happened on Friday, and Jesus did suffer unimaginable pain as he was being crucified. But I actually think he suffered an even deeper an even more profound agony in tonight's story here in the garden on Thursday evening. In verse 38, he tells three of his disciples that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus was scared. Jesus was scared. Now, mind you, this is the same Jesus who earlier in the book of Matthew had healed people who were sick or paralyzed. This is the same Jesus who had calmed the violent storm by just speaking a word. This is the same Jesus who struck terror into an entire army of demons as they begged for his permission to enter into a herd of pigs. But here in our story, this same Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow. As a truly human person, the Son of God is afraid. And so he asks his friends to stay with him. For our time tonight, I want to consider two agonies, if I can put it that way, two agonies that Jesus endured in our story. And then I'd like to offer a couple of reflections as we try to see how this dark moment in Jesus' life is relevant for us even today. Let's first look at the agonies. The first agony in our story tonight is what I call the agony of friends who fail you. The agony of friends who fail you. If you've ever experienced this, then you know how uniquely painful that kind of experience can be. 
And so perhaps you'll also find a little bit of comfort from the fact that Jesus can relate because he went through the same experience in our story. In verse 36, Matthew tells us that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now Matthew mentions two groups of people here. First, there's the disciples, and then specifically he mentions Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. Now the disciples weren't just Jesus' most loyal followers. They were that, but they weren't only that. The disciples were also Jesus' closest friends, and especially these three men, Peter, James, and John. In fact, just a few verses before our story, Peter had confidently told Jesus, even if all fall away, I will not. And then he followed up with an even bolder prediction, verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. The other disciples all say the same, and we all know what's going to happen. If there were any group of friends who Jesus thought he could count on, in his time of greatest need, it was his disciples, especially those three men, Peter, James, and John. After he goes to pray for a little while, he comes back, and what does he find them doing? Sleeping. He had specifically asked them to keep watch while he prayed, and they couldn't even keep their eyes open. And to pour salt on the wound, Matthew tells us that Jesus went away again to pray. When he came back, these three men were asleep again. In fact, it happens yet another time. So three times total. So we see here the agony of friends who fail you. The men he was counting on the most in Jesus' greatest hour of need all let him down. And pretty soon they would all abandon him completely. But that agony of having your friends fail you is nothing compared to the second agony that we see in our story. And that's what I call the agony of abandonment by the Father. The agony of abandonment by the Father. What do I mean by that? Well, look with me again at verse 39, because this really is the heart of the story. In verse 39, Matthew says, Going a little farther, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And Matthew tells us that Jesus fell to the ground and he prayed if it was possible for the cup to be taken from him. Now, what's he talking about there? What does he mean when he uses that word cup in this verse? Well, to put it as simply as I can, the Bible often uses that word cup as a symbol of divine judgment. In Psalm chapter 75, verse 8, for example, we read, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. The cup represents God's judgment toward the wicked. Later on, God sends the prophet Jeremiah to preach a message of judgment against the nations who have tormented his people 
In Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15, it says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. Again, here the cup represents God's judgment toward the wicked. But in our story, it's not the wicked. It's not the ungodly nations who will have to drink the cup of divine judgment. It is the Son of God himself. For Jesus, the cup is shorthand for the suffering and death that's just immediately ahead of him. Jesus knows he'll soon have to bear the penalty of sin. He knows he'll have to drink the bitter cup of God's judgment, the judgment that you and I deserve for our sin, for our wickedness, for our rebellion against the holy and just God. And that thought terrifies him. Humanly speaking, that thought terrifies him. And so in a moment of raw human emotional honesty, he basically says, Father, I know you can do everything. You can do all things, so is there any way I can avoid this? Is there any way this cup might be taken from me? Now that right there is amazing enough. Jesus is frightened at the thought of having to endure divine judgment for you and for me. But there's something else going on, something even deeper that I really believe gets to the heart of Jesus' overwhelming sorrow here in our story. He's not just scared at the thought of having to drink the cup of God's wrath. He's terrified of enduring the judgment of his Father. Look at the way he addresses God in his prayer here in verse 39. He says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as he will. Mark's version of our story has Jesus saying, Abba, Father. Abba was a term of endearment in the original language. It basically meant something along the lines of Daddy, which would have been a very unusual way for a Jew like Jesus to pray because the proper way for a first century Jew in Palestine to approach God and pray to him was with reverence and respect. But here we see just how close Jesus' relationship with the Father was. So this term, Father, gives us a rare window into the deep love and intimacy between the Father and His Son. An intimacy that both of these members of the Godhead have enjoyed from eternity past, and now Jesus knows He's about to lose it. And losing that for the first time I believe is what terrifies him more than anything else. For the first time in his eternal existence, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will endure the experience of being abandoned by the Father as he bears the weight and the penalty and the judgment for the sins of the world. And what's his cry as he's being crucified in the next chapter on Good Friday? His cry is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46. Notice Jesus doesn't address the Father here as Father, much less Abba Father. He can't. 
Because at this point, the relationship has been broken. Broken by our sin that God now regards as belonging in that moment to Him. What we have here in this cry is the experience of utter and complete desolation. I think that's what frightens Jesus more than anything else as He's praying in the garden on Thursday night. And so let me close with two very brief reflections as to how this all relates to us even now. First, I just want to say, hell, by definition, is the experience of utter abandonment. This is basically what Jesus endured as he was crucified. Hell here, in the book of Matthew, is presented as relational torment. Relational torment. Hell is the awful reality of being abandoned by the Creator God. Hell is where God will forever be the judge who condemns you and never your Father who protects you and embraces you as His own. And you and I, we see foretastes of hell every day in our world. People who carry a gnawing sense of shame and guilt because of what they've done or because of what's been done to them. People who feel abandoned, who feel alone, who feel unloved. And you and I, we don't have to look far to see all the ruin that fills our modern world. There are glimpses of hell all around us. We hear about it every day, most recently with the news coming out of Ukraine, but also Yemen and Afghanistan and North Korea and Myanmar and Ethiopia and South Africa and on and on and on. And the truly sad thing is these are only glimpses, my friends. They're only glimpses. As hard as it may seem for us to believe, the full reality of hell is so much worse. Unimaginably worse. Hell is the experience of utter abandonment. But secondly, I want to note that Jesus was willing to go through hell in a manner of speaking so that we will never have to. He was willing to go through hell, as it were, so that you and I will never have to. According to the biblical understanding of reality, we all see these glimpses of hell in our world today because sin exists in our world today. The Bible tells us that sin entered into our world all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in a different garden. They became alienated from their creator. They became alienated from one another. And that has led to broken relationships and marriages, in families, in friendships within societies. And that has been passed down from generation to generation ever since. You know, the most remarkable thing about Jesus here in our story is that he knew what was ahead of him. He knew full well that hell would open its jaws and swallow him whole. And that terrified him, and yet he was willing to still go through it with his eyes wide open. Notice how he prays in verse 42. He says, My father... If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
He's utterly terrified at this thought of having to drink the cup of God's judgment and experience this temporary abandonment by the Father. And that's why he begged his closest friends to stay with him. But even when these friends failed him, and even when he knew that the Abba Father's answer to his prayer would be no, he still said, may your will be done. In other words, he would rather obey the will of his father than serve himself. And what exactly was the will of his father? Well, we find our answer in the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. This is just stunning. What father would want something like this for his son to crush him and cause him to suffer? But we see here not just flashes of the great Easter hope of resurrection, but also of salvation and forgiveness for all who will trust him. Because according to verse 10, as the son is crushed, as he suffers, he will be an offering for sin. And according to verse 11, he will justify or save many as he bears their iniquities. Whose iniquities? Well, my iniquities. Your iniquities, our iniquities, and the iniquity of every person who has ever failed him, but puts their faith in him alone. My friends, I think what makes the story so great is that this was where the real battle was won. The reason Jesus was able to go to the cross and finish the job all the way to his last breath was because he made it through this agony in the garden. Yes, he was abandoned by his friends. And yes, he knew he would soon be abandoned by his father. But he was willing to go through all of that so that you and I will never have to. In a manner of speaking, he went through hell for us so that you and I could receive the gift of true life in him for all of eternity, for all of eternity. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for drinking the cup of divine judgment, of wrath, so that we could receive the gift of divine mercy and forgiveness. And Lord, as we remember your son's suffering and death for us, we pray that our hearts will be filled with thankfulness and filled with renewed joy and hope. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.